Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 26, is where we will begin. Luke 8, verse 22, actually through 25, excuse me, Luke 8, 22 through 25. It says, One day he and his disciples got into a boat and he told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they were sailing, he fell asleep. Then a fierce windstorm came down on the lake. They were being swamped and were in danger. They came and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we're going to die. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. So they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, asking one another, Who can this be? He commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey Him. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. Today we're going to begin a string of texts in the Gospel of Luke that emphasize who Yeshua is and the power that He has. And we're going to find that this is a major emphasis throughout the rest of Luke chapter 8 and also the entirety of the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And I would like to begin by pointing something out here that I'm going to detail later on in this sermon. Oftentimes, Christians, as Christians, we think that the only things that matter in life are the things that we do. Now, what we do is important. Amen? What we do is important. Up to this point in Luke 8, we've seen an emphasis on doing the Word of Yahweh. I want you to think about the last lesson, the lesson last week. Yeshua says, Who is my mother and my brother? Those who hear and do the Word of Yahweh. And that's talking about the commandments, the law. So we don't just listen, but we do the Word of Yahweh. So the Bible does emphasize doing the Word. Sometimes, however, we focus so much on what we are to do that we forget that there are things we must believe to have salvation. There are things we must believe to have salvation, have faith in to have salvation. Now, these beliefs inevitably lead to action on our part because belief always leads to action. Faith always leads to works. I believe this pulpit will hold up my notes, and so I put my notes down on the pulpit. Notice I have belief, and it led to action. The belief comes first, and then the action. There are certain doctrines that we have to believe in in order to have salvation. And what we're going to learn over and over again in this chapter, Luke chapter 8, and also in Luke chapter 9, is that we must believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, the Son of Yahweh, And we must have faith in His person and in His power. That is what we must believe in order to be saved from our sins. You can keep all the commandments you want to and not believe in the Son of Yahweh and you will not be saved. You will not be saved from your sins. As a matter of fact, I would argue that your commandment keeping is not really commandment keeping unless it's based upon faith in Yahweh and in His Son. That's where it starts. John 17, 3, Yeshua prayed to the Father. He knew it. He knew it. He said, this is eternal life, Father, that they might know you, the only true mighty one, and Yeshua the Messiah, whom you have sent. So eternal life is the knowledge of the Father and His Son. That's eternal life. That's at least part, a big part of eternal life, the foundation. 
Yeshua has been given a tremendous amount of power and we are to focus upon His authority no matter what we face in life. Our faith must rest in Him. Now I want you to get this. Get this in your spirit, in your mind, in your heart in this Sabbath service. Our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is not in our faith. We're not called to have faith in our faith, brothers and sisters. We're called to have faith in the Messiah. I feel that when faith is preached, it often leads people to have faith in their faith. Let me explain what I mean by that. People teach and believe that we have faith in how powerful or confident that we feel at any given moment or in how emotionally charged we feel at any given time. That's not faith. That's not faith. Faith is trust and reliance upon Yahweh's Son, the Messiah. He doesn't go up and down. He doesn't waver. We are an emotional roller coaster. We have mountains and we have valleys, but Yeshua is just as strong today as He was the very day that He went and took His seat at the right hand of the Father. He's still just as strong and just as glorified today. He never wavers in His faith in Yahweh. He never wavers in His devotion to Father Yahweh. And we are to place our faith in Him as the Son of Yahweh, because He doesn't waver. Our faith is not in our faith. My faith does not reside in how good I feel at any given moment. That fluctuates. My faith is in the strong Savior. It's in my Master who carries me. He is my strength. I'm believing in Him. You are believing in Him. We are relying in Him. We are trusting in Him. We are having faith in Him. That's where our faith must be. So the account today is about him and his personal students, his disciples. We know that's what the word disciples means, pupils or students of Yeshua. He had 12 of them that were his personal students. And we begin in Luke chapter 8, verse 22. And it says, One day he and his disciples got into a boat, and he told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they set out. Now, let's remember that up until this point, Yeshua's ministry has been in the region of Galilee. We know that when Miriam became pregnant with Yeshua, she lived in the northern region of the land of Israel. We know later on he was birthed down in the southern region in Bethlehem of Judea. That's where Yeshua was birthed, but he lived most of his life up in the northern region, in the region of Galilee, in the land of Israel in the first century. We read in Luke 4.44 that he was preaching early on in his ministry in the synagogues of Galilee. And in Luke chapter 5, we see that he acquires his first disciples from men who fished the Sea of Galilee for a living. As a matter of fact, I've recently been studying, 11 of the 12 initial disciples of Yeshua were all men of Galilee from the northern region and likely the northern tribes of Israel. That's why we read in Acts chapter 1 when they were speaking in other languages that they had never learned supernaturally, they said, are not all these which speak Galileans? Right. And remember, the angel, when Yeshua ascended up into heaven, there was an angel there with the disciples. And he said, the angel told the men, men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing? He's going to come back in the same manner that he left. And so this is where Yeshua began his ministry, his disciples, most of them were from the region of Galilee. The region of Galilee is northwest of the Sea of Galilee. And I don't have this in my notes, but the Sea of Galilee, if you compare that with Luke chapter 5, there is another name for the Sea of Galilee. Same body of water. 
It's called Lake Gennesaret. Gennesaret is kind of a, a wrong transliteration from the Hebrew. The Hebrew word is Kinneroth, Lake Kinneroth. And the word Kinneroth in Hebrew refers to a harp, like the musical instrument that you play. And the reason they called the Sea of Galilee also Lake Kinneroth, Lake Harp, was because it was shaped like the musical instrument of a harp. And so it had two names, Lake Gennesaret and also the Sea of Galilee. Now when Yeshua and his disciples get on the boat, they're sitting out from around the area of Capernaum, just northwest of the Sea of Galilee you see on the screen, and they're traveling to the other side of the lake or the southeastern side of the lake to an area known as the Gerasenes. Luke 8:26, just a few verses later, tells us, Then they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. Now this area is also called the Gadarenes, but we'll get more into that in a later sermon when we cover our next section in Luke chapter 8. Right now I just want to show you that the red section on the screen is where they set out from. The blue section is where they were sailing to, from the northwest to the southeast. Let me point out here that it was evening time when they set forth to sail. We know this because there's a parallel account in the book of Mark. Same story, same account, just a different author. And Mark 4.35 says, When evening had come, he told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So this is a night journey that they're taking, which really wouldn't be anything abnormal to some of the disciples because remember, some of the disciples used to be professional fishermen. I'm not talking about they just went down by the lake on Sunday afternoon. They fished for a trade. They were professional fishermen. And if you remember when I talked through Luke 5, most professional fishermen fished at night. That's why in Luke 5, when they were washing their nets, it was at sunrise. Okay, because they'd been fishing the whole night. And remember, he said, go back out there and cast your net in the lake. They said... We've been fishing all night long. <laughs> We're washing our net. Of course, we know what happened. So it's a great miracle that Yeshua did for them. So the Sea of Galilee is about seven miles wide, and it's about 12 miles from north to south, from tip to tip. So they could likely get to where they were going by morning time, just on a night journey from the northwest to the southeast. No problem, a nighttime journey. Let's look at the next verse in Luke 8, 23 through 24. As they were sailing, he fell asleep. (laughs) Then a fierce windstorm came down on the lake. They were being swamped and were in danger. They came and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're going to die. And they probably said it a lot louder than I just did. (laughs) Yeshua uses this trip to get some rest, to sleep for a while. And Luke writes that a fierce windstorm came down on the lake or the sea. Now the Greek word or fierce windstorm, is the word laylapse. Laylapse, which Thayer's Greek lexicon defines as a whirlwind or a tempestuous wind. W.E. Vines gives hurricane as one definition for this Greek word. This wasn't just a little breeze where you put on the cardigan, right? Or you put on your, your little windbreaker. You know, I need a little windbreaker this morning. It's a little chilly. No, that's not what this is talking about. This is a hurricane. This is a windstorm. This is... The HCSB gives a good translation. Then a fierce windstorm came down on the lake. We see the severity of this storm at the end of verse 23 because it says that they were being swamped and were in danger. That means the waves of water were being pushed by the wind and they were 
coming over into the boat. The boat was being swamped. But how about verse 24? The first part of that verse says, they came and woke him up. They woke Yeshua up. Mark 4, in that account, says he was asleep in the stern of the boat. And the stern refers to the hinder or the tail end of the ship in a little bunk. Mark says he was sleeping on a cushion or a pillow. So he's asleep. Did you catch that? Our master is asleep. It's a fierce windstorm, hurricane. He's asleep. He's not worried about it. (laughs) The disciples are, but he's not. You know that the boat had to be rocking back and forth, but he's asleep. They had to wake him up. Yeshua, Yeshua, we're going to die, they said. Master, Master. Remember, we're talking about experienced fishermen. They're used to being on bodies of water. This is a bad storm because they're saying, we're all going to die. Master, wake up. And at the end of verse 24, we read, Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, so they ceased and there was a a calm. No prayer. He didn't pray. No sensationalism. No emotionalism. He just got up, and according to Mark 4.39, he said this. He said, peace, be still. He didn't have to rev anything up. He didn't have to play no fast music, dim the lights, make it all right in the mood and all that kind of stuff. No, he didn't have to do any of that. He just looked out and said, peace, be still. He had authority. And that authority he had, brothers and sisters, came from Father Yahweh. And he had more authority than any man ever before him or ever will after him. And that's because, as we'll talk about, He is the Son of Yahweh, uniquely begotten. The wind stopped and the waves calmed down. That's some power. That's huge authority. There's only one other time in Scripture that I can think of that comes anywhere close to that kind of power through a man. And that's with the prophet Eliyah, my son's name. I call him Eliyahu Navi, prophet Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, where it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from the Gilead settler said to Ahab, As Yahweh the Mighty One of Israel lives, I stand before him, and there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. So Yahweh had given the prophet Eliyah the power to withhold the rain and the dew. And it was for about three years. Can you imagine there not being any dew or any rain for three years? Well, that's what happened. Yahweh gave Elijah the authority to speak that. And thus it was so because he was the man of Yahweh. He was the prophet. But this account of Yeshua in the Gospel of Luke is still different than that. Still different than that because Yeshua says, Peace be still right in the middle of a hurricane and everything is calm at once. There is no other account in the Bible on the same level as this rebuke of the winds and the waves by the Master. I'll get more to that significance in just a moment. Look, look at the beginning of verse 25. Luke 8, 25a. He said to them, where is your faith? Now remember back in verse 23, they said to him, we are all going to die. He responds, where is your faith? Was Yeshua telling them that they should have rebuked the wind and the waves? I don't think so. I don't think that's what he meant by that. I don't think they were given that power or authority. Definitely not at this time. 
I think what he's telling them is this, where is your faith, meaning where is your faith in me? Where is your faith in me? Look who you've got with you in the boat. Where is your faith in me? My person, my power, my authority, my ability. And I believe that we still don't get this in this day and time. And that's why I began my sermon with a little sermonette at the beginning about faith. It's because when storms come into our life, we sometimes think that we need to have more faith, but in our minds, we're placing faith in the strength of us in how good we feel. Faith in our faith. That's not biblical. In other words, faith in faith rather than faith in the Messiah. Our faith needs to rest in Yeshua, not in us or how we feel, but in His strength, in His power, and in His authority. We're going to ebb and to flow, to ebb and to flow. He remains stable. He's remained strong all the time. Like I said before, we are emotional roller coasters, brothers and sisters. We might be on a spiritual high today, and then we might come down tomorrow, but our faith should not reside in how we feel. Our faith should reside in how strong our Savior is. He's going to be just as strong next Sabbath as He is this Sabbath. He's not going to get any less in strength or any more in strength. Yahweh's already given Him full authority in both heaven and on earth. He's not going to waver. Isn't that wonderful? I get chill bumps just talking about that. Praise Yahweh. Yahweh has sent Yeshua to be our Master and our Savior, 1 John 4, 14. And He is a strong Savior. He is so strong that He has authority over the wind and the sea. He has power over something that vast, something that is out of my control and out of your control. Do you ever feel like you have no power over a situation in your life? Whether it be something small or something big, it's out of your control. My sister recently told me about her little baby, baby Hollis, born premature at 28 weeks. And she told me, she said, let's just keep praying because it's out of my hands, Matthew. I feel like I can't do anything about it because it's out of her control. So we put our faith in something much, much higher than us. Well, that's what the disciples were facing on the Sea of Galilee that day. They didn't have any control over that hurricane. None. But they had with them someone who did have control over that hurricane. And that's why Yeshua said to them, where is your faith? Because they were not fully trusting in Him. Now, I think that storms hit our life and we act the same way that the disciples did that day. I know that I do. Master, Master, I'm going to die. I can't take it anymore. I can't deal with this and that and the other. I pray like this. We pray like this. And you know what? It's because we're frail human beings. Yahweh is righteous. We aren't. Yahweh is good. We aren't. Even Yeshua told that young man, why do you call me good? There is none perfectly, completely good but Father Yahweh. We all have our pressure points because we're frail. We're humans. And life comes along and pushes them, it seems, in all the right places. <laughs> or maybe I should say all the wrong places. We all have our pressure points. They might be different depending on who you talk to in here, but we all have them. And life comes along and pushes them. And what we should do, I'm preaching just as much to Brother Matthew when I say this, what we should do is learn to remain calm and trust in the Master. Trust in the Master. Remember, He's strong. Now, it's easy for me to stand up here in an air-conditioned sanctuary and tell you to trust in the Master. <laughs> That's easy for me to do. 
it's much harder for me to practice that in my life. And it's much harder for you to practice it in your life. But you know what? I still have to preach it because it's from the Bible. He said, where is your faith? The Apostle Paul writes about this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6-7. through 7. Listen to this. It's a big text. Listen to this. He says to the assembly at Philippi, Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to Yahweh. And the peace of Yahweh which surpasses every thought will guard your hearts and minds in the Messiah, Yeshua. Wow! That's a hard one to swallow. But that's what it says, isn't it? Don't worry about anything. Anything? Come on, Paul. Anything? I have to worry about some things, Paul. But what does Paul tell us to do here? Don't worry about anything. Man, that verse... Really, it slaps me. It really convicts me because I do worry about a lot of things most days that I'm alive. Paul says don't worry about anything and then he kind of catapults that into but in everything. So we know he's talking about anything because he follows it with everything. Through what? Through prayer and petition. That means you ask. With thanksgiving. In other words, when you begin to pray, I think we miss this. Listen, brothers and sisters, saints, beloved children of Yahweh. Listen. Praying is not just about asking. When you do it, it's with thanksgiving. When you begin to pray, first give thanksgiving. First you should give adoration. Adoration. Uplift Yahweh. Talk about how good He is. He tells us to do that. And we give thanksgiving too. Thanksgiving. In other words, instead of worrying or anxiety, pray with thanksgiving, take your burden to Yahweh, and leave it at His feet. And then we're given a promise that the peace of Yahweh, which surpasses all understanding and human thought, will guard our hearts and our minds in the Messiah. You say, Brother Matthew, but you don't understand how big this is. This is huge. Listen, believe you me, I felt the same way before. I'm just as frail as you are. Don't think because I'm up here preaching that I'm not a frail man. I'm a weak man. We're all weak men. Apostle Paul says, I glory in my weaknesses that the power of Christ might be made manifest in my life. I do not boast in myself, but in Christ in me the hope of glory, Paul says. But listen, it doesn't matter how big of a problem that we have. It doesn't matter if we think, how could we have peace about this situation? This passage says, it's a peace that passes all understanding. It's not a peace that we muster up. It's the peace of Yahweh that He sends down upon His children when we pray and petition with thanksgiving. It's a peace that passes all human understanding and it's a peace that guides our hearts and our minds in the Messiah. Isn't that a beautiful promise? I don't mean to get too loud, but then again, I don't apologize for getting a little bit loud because it's great. It's a promise. You don't have to worry in everything, pray, petition, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known. And then the promise, the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in the Messiah, Yeshua. As I like to say, that's a refrigerator verse. That's one you write out and put on a magnet on your refrigerator. That way when you open it up to get whatever you get out, whatever it is, you see that. Don't worry about anything. And I'll put in parentheses, Matthew Jansen. <laughs> 
So that's, it speaks to me when I read that scene. The next time we come to a storm in our life, I want you to think about the disciples, what they said, but then think about what Yeshua said. Where is your faith? And I would encourage all of us that when these hurricanes enter our life, I know this was a literal one. I'm, I'm taking the literal and comparing it with the spiritual. That's okay. When these hurricanes come in our life, our first step is not to worry, but it should be to hit our knees, bow before Yahweh, pray, petition with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to Him. Once again, that's easy for me to preach. I know I'm not acting like I'm always going to do that. I'm not standing up here saying I always do that because I don't. I'm just saying that's what we ought to do. That's how we ought to handle all of our situations, okay? Put our faith in the strong Savior. Moving on. At the end of Luke 8, 25, our closing verse, we read this. They were fearful and amazed, asking one another, Who can this be? He commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey Him. Who can this be? Well, I will tell you who most people say that this is. Most people will tell you that this man is Yahweh. Now, they may not use the name Yahweh, but most people will tell you, well, this man is God. This man is God Almighty. They will preach this passage or read this passage, and they'll think this is God Almighty in the boat with His disciples because He rebuked the winds and the waves. And who else could rebuke the winds and the waves besides God, besides Yahweh? Now, if you'll notice, the text doesn't say that. That's not anything in the text. That's eisegesis, not exegesis, right? That's something they're reading into the text. They infer it because they think, well, who else could do it besides Almighty Yahweh? And I think that most people miss the correct option here. Now, it is true from this text that the question, who can this be? He commands even the winds and the waves and they obey Him. The question implies that the disciples realized that Yeshua could not just be a mere man to do what He did. They realized that. I believe that. I've always believed that. I've never stopped believing that. Don't let anybody tell you that Brother Matthew, who you hear preach, believes that Yeshua was just a mere man. I've never believed that. Don't today. I agree that he was not a mere man, but I do not agree with the jump from mere man all the way to being the Almighty. Because when you do that, you miss a category, and that category is the Son of the Almighty. See? the only begotten Son. Not just a Son. Not just a Son. Hosea chapter 1 at the end talks about the redeemed Israelites will be called the sons of Yahweh, but Yeshua is even different than that. He was uniquely begotten by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember Miriam? How can this be possible? Gabriel? I've never known a man intimately she's talking about. Gabriel says, the power of the Most High will overshadow you and the Spirit will come upon you and therefore the Holy One that's born in you will be called the Son of Yahweh. Son of Yahweh. Luke one thirty two. He will be called the Son of the Most High. There's the Most High, that's Yahweh, and then there's the Son of the Most High. And that's who rebuked the winds and the seas in this text. And that's who you must believe that Yeshua is. You must believe that. Now, we will get to these next verses I'm going to share in more detail as we journey through Luke 8 and 9. But what I want to do in this account, I don't want to just tell you that because, see, the text itself right here doesn't say anything about the Son of Yahweh either. But what are we supposed to do? We read texts in their what? Context. I heard somebody, Brother Randy, said context. We read text in their context. I talked about the 2020 rule. 
Anytime you read one verse, read 20 verses before it and 20 verses after it. Okay, You get 20-20 scriptural vision there. And it's going to help you. Because when we read after Luke 8.25, we're going to see that the rest of Luke 8 and Luke 9 give us who can this be. It's going to tell us. Let's look at these verses. Luke 8, 26 through 28. If you have your Bible, you can follow along. I've got it on the screen. Remember, these verses come right after our text today. Then they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When he, that's Yeshua, when he got out on land, a demon-possessed man from the town met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes and did not stay in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Yeshua, he cried out, fell down before him, and said in a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Yeshua, you son of the Most High God or Most High Elohim? I beg you, don't torment me. Now, I'll get more into this in detail when I teach on this text exegetically. But what this is, is the demon, fallen angel, inside of this man, spirit being, is crying out, begging Yeshua not to torment him. You read along, along down and they even say, or the demon even says, do not put us into the abyss. And there's a meaning behind that. We'll get into that as we venture through the text. Notice who the demon recognizes Yeshua as. The Son of the Most High God, the English Bible says. Son of the Most High. Luke nine eighteen through 20, our next verse. Still in the same context. Remember Luke 8, 25, who can this be? We read a little bit further in Luke 8. Now we go on to Luke 9. While he was praying in private, that is Yeshua, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others that one of the ancient prophets has come back. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, Yahweh's Messiah. The English Bible says God's Messiah. Now, this passage, Luke 9, 20, is parallel with Matthew 16, 13 through 18. The famous, who do you say that I am text. Where Kepha, Peter, says, you are the Messiah the Son of the living Almighty. The Son. Once again, we have the living God, Matthew 16, 13 through 18, and we have the Son of the living God. So in this text, in Luke 9, uh, verse 20, who do you say that I am? Luke records Peter as saying, Yahweh's Messiah. Now, if you're a Bible student and you know the Old Testament, then you know that the terms or the titles, Messiah, Hebrew, Mashiach, means anointed one, it is a parallel term with Son of Yahweh. It's, they're both royal titles, kingship titles. The best passage I would take you to in the Old Testament probably would be Psalm chapter 2, where Psalm chapter 2 says that the kings of the earth take their stand against Yahweh and against His anointed. Look that word anointed up in the Hebrew. It is Mashiach. Later on down in Psalm 2, Yahweh says, Pay homage to the Son or else I'll be angry with you. So Messiah and Son of Yahweh are parallel. They're both royal, kingly titles of Yeshua. We've got one more in Luke 9. We're not through yet. This is probably the most powerful. Remember, we're still in context. Luke 8, 25, who can this be? Let's read the rest of Luke 8 and Luke 9 to see who this is. Luke 9, 34 through 35. I'll be glad when we get to this text so I can explain it more. But it says, while he was saying this, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them, 
and they became afraid as they entered the cloud. This is specifically talking about Peter, James, and John, three of his closest pupils. Verse 35, Then a voice came from the cloud, saying, This is my Son, the Chosen One. Listen to Him. Now I know I was raised totally different. I was raised in a church that emphasized Jesus is God. As a matter of fact, we didn't hear anything about the Son. We were taught that Jesus is the Father. Or Yeshua is Yahweh. But we were taught, I was taught wrongly. Yahweh says, this is my Son. Now in 1 Peter, you can parallel this with 1 Peter. Peter was here. And in 1 Peter, towards the end of the chapter, Peter says, I was with him when we were on the holy mountain. This is the Mount of Transfiguration here, where they saw Yeshua and his garment was dazzling. Peter says, I was with him and I heard the voice. And the voice said, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. Yahweh is honored when you listen to Yeshua. Yahweh gets joy out of you honoring his son because they are a package deal. I do not want you to spit in my son's face. And Yahweh doesn't want you to spit in his son's face. This is my son. And so we have three texts in the context of Luke 8. The demons say he's the son of the Most High. Peter says he's Yahweh's Messiah. Yahweh says, this is my son. It's the best witness you could ever get. Yahweh can't lie. It's impossible for Yahweh to lie. He can't break oaths. This is my son. Now I mentioned at the beginning of this lesson that we were venturing into a section in Luke that emphasizes Yeshua's person and power. Much of this emphasis as we're going to go through these chapters is going to be on who He is. And who do these passages in the context of Luke 8 and 9 say that He is? The Messiah, the Son of Yahweh. We must remember, catch this now, I want you to think about this, listen carefully. We must remember that up to this point in Luke 8, with the fierce windstorm, the main text tonight, Yeshua's disciples have not been given the full divine revelation that Yeshua is the Messiah, the Son of Yahweh. Up to this point, they have not been given that. They're going to be given it here, as we've already seen in the rest of Luke 8 and Luke 9, but they, they haven't been given that full divine revelation yet. Yahweh did speak to Yeshua at His baptism in Luke chapter 3. You are my son, right? Yahweh did say that to Yeshua, but think, think carefully about this. Yeshua's disciples were not there at Yeshua's baptism. They hadn't been called yet. After Yeshua was baptized, he immediately went to his hometown of Nazareth and he started his ministry by himself. It wasn't until Luke 5 that he goes out to Lake Kinneroth, Lake Harp, and he starts recruiting these fishermen and he says, from now on you're going to fish for people instead of fish for fish. Right? So the disciples did not realize here in Luke 8, they did not have full divine revelation. They hadn't even been chosen until Luke chapter 5. They saw Yeshua as a great rabbi, a great teacher at this point, but they didn't, they didn't fully know that he was Yahweh's Messiah, uh, the son of Yahweh, until Peter was given the revelation by the Father in heaven. And then it began to be more clear, and not all at once, but it began to be more clear who he was. And he verified his Messiahship and the son of Yahweh 
by the power and the authority and the miracles that he performed. And that's a lot of what Luke 8 and 9 is about. We're going to see some major, major miracles, bona fide miracles, nothing you could fake, (laughs) bona fide miracles in Yeshua's ministry. So my point is they did not yet have full revelation that he was the Messiah, the Son of Yahweh, at this point out here on the lake. It is not until this point in Yeshua's ministry that his person and authority begin to come to light fully that he really is the Son of Yahweh, only begotten, that he has authority in him like no other man to ever live. Why? Why does he have that authority? Well, because he's Yahweh's Son. He really is the uniquely begotten Son of Yahweh. Read Matthew chapter 1. Read Luke chapter 1. He really, Yahweh really does have a son. He really does. I mean, get that in your spirit. He really does. And you must believe it. You must believe it. He that hath the Son hath life. The end of John chapter 3 says, He that hath not the Son, the wrath of Yahweh abides on him. It's at the end of John chapter 3. That's what we're going to see throughout Luke 8 and 9. Emphasized. And that is the answer to the disciples' question in Luke 8.25. We answered their question. They said, who can this be that even the winds and the waves obey? Well, we don't have to go far to find out. All we have to do is finish reading Luke 8 and 9. And we know who this can be. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of Yahweh, Rosalind. This is the Son of Yahweh. And the disciples must receive Yeshua as Yahweh's Son. And we must receive Yeshua as Yahweh's Son. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Almighty Yahweh, Father, have mercy upon me, a sinner, but by Your grace. Through Yeshua, I come to You today, Your Son. I do not come based on my own righteousness. I come based on His. His perfect righteousness from Your perfect law. Yahweh, Father, I pray that these words from Scripture remain with the people. If they forget everything that I said, that's fine. But I pray that the Scriptures would stay with them in their hearts and minds. Save your people from their sins, Father Yahweh. For that is what you sent your Son to do. I love you. I love your Son. And I'm thankful to be part of the family. Through Yeshua, I pray. Amen. Yahweh bless you.